0: turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and a little four-chapter book, Ruth. <coughs> we started this series through the book of Ruth last week. If you did not get to attend last week and hear it, too bad. <laughs> we had some technical difficulties and it didn't get recorded, so... All right. Here we go. Uh, let's start with verse uh, 6. Let's stand together. We're going we're gonna to cover really verses 15 through 22. But I just want to kind of read through again, uh, starting with verse 6. So from 6 all the way to the end of the chapter is what we're going to read. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Father, thanks for your word. We trust it. We believe it. We pray that you would use it for your glory and in our hearts and lives, God, that we might live and shine for you. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So just a quick reminder from last week. Remember we talked about that it that, um, says in verse 1 that this is this is happening in the days of the judges. In that time period, the days of the judges was a very dark time spiritually in fact if you turn the page before remember what it says the last verse in the book of judges which tells about the time of the judges um it says in in chapter 21 verse 25 in those days there was no king in israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes so you've got this this self-seeking dark season for god's children the people of israel And things are dark, and people are just living for themselves and making decisions for themselves and not serving and living for God, but ultimately for themselves. And in the midst of all this, we get the story of Ruth. In the beginning, it tells us about this man named Elimelech, and he's the husband of Naomi, who we just read about. And Elimelech, in the midst of this this difficulty, there's a famine going on in Bethlehem. And so he takes his family, Naomi and his two sons, and he moves them to Moab. Okay? And then in the process of moving to Moab, they, they settle in and, and make their home there. And it tells us that Elimelech and Malon and, and Kilian, the, the sons of, of uh, Elimelech and, and Naomi, all die. Now, not at the same time Elimelech dies, uh, uh, the sons uh, are married to Orpah and Ruth. And about 10 years later, uh, the sons die. And so Naomi is, is, is alone and in the midst of this difficulty. And what we're picking up now is is, uh, Naomi is is heading back to Bethlehem because verse 6 tells us she heard that in Bethlehem God had visited his people and given them food. The famine is over. And so Ruth and Orpah follow for a distance uh, back. And then after persuasion from Naomi, Orpah decides she's going to go back to Moab, to her gods, to her people. And that's where we're picking up today. And so we're going to pick up in verse 15. It says, And she said to Ruth, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now, this is important because um, for Ruth and for Orpah to go back, for them to make the decision to go back to Moab was to choose to go back to their gods, uh, the gods that they were raised worshiping, the gods of their people. And so uh, that's the way it worked. The the gods were connected to the land. And so uh, for them to... For, for them to choose to go back was them choosing really to go back not just to their people but to serve their gods there. Orpah makes that choice and and Ruth now is 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 here to make this decision whether she's going to go back or not. The main god of Moab was was Chemosh and if you remember uh, if you read through First Kings and the story of Solomon that's the that's the um, one of the gods that that Solomon built a an altar to and that was kind of the beginning of Solomon's falling away from the Lord. We mentioned that last week. Where he had married so many wives from so many different lands, and and just like God had said, don't do that because they're going to lead your heart astray from Me. That happened to Solomon, and so in one Kings eleven seven, it tells us that he builds this high place for the God of Chemosh. But it goes on, and and so uh, Naomi says, "Let's look, look Orpah, your sister in law." She has made this decision. She's gone back to her people. She's gone back so that she can marry, so that she can have children. She's gone back to her gods. You go too. follow her, go with her. Verses 16 and 17. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you. Now listen, listen to this response. This is beautiful. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge your people shall be my people and your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. This this commitment from Ruth, um, if, if you want to jump ahead to Mark, chapter 10, it kind of reminds us of of this promise of um that Jesus makes to those who are true disciples of Christ, who, who truly leave and follow Christ. In Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 31, it's the end of the story of the rich young ruler, right? And and, uh, and Peter, after the rich young ruler decides it's not worth giving up everything to follow Christ, Peter says, see, we have left everything and followed you. And then Jesus' response. Truly I say to you there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. We kind of get a picture of this from Ruth. She's leaving that. She's doing that. She's making that kind of a commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and really to God. Because she's, she's saying, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to trust your God. I'm going to follow your God. He will now be my God. And just like Jesus has called us to do the same, to leave everything for Christ, we kind of see a picture of that discipleship, that kind of faithfulness and commitment from Ruth. Remember the covenant promise that that God made with us all throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, that that phrase, that promise from God where he says, I will be your God and you shall be my people. We see that here Where, where God has made that promise to us. And Ruth is kind of embracing that a little bit where she's saying, you'll be my God and this will be my people now. If you want to jot down some some places where God just continues, just for your encouragement to read this, to make this promise. Genesis 17, 7 and 8. Exodus 6, 7. Deuteronomy 29, 13. Jeremiah 24, verse 7. Jeremiah 31, 33. Hosea 2, 23. Zechariah 8, 8. Second Corinthians 616 Revelation 21 7 these these passages if you didn't get any of those you can ask me afterwards all right it's fine everyone's looking up like what do I do with the pen um, it's fine um, ask me afterwards but these these promises from God right where he he says to his people you will be my people. And I'll be your God, this beautiful call and an and opportunity really to serve the the almighty, wonderful, beautiful treasure who is God. And he makes this this call to us, this commitment to us. Well, we kind of see that in Ruth where she's saying, yes, I accept you'll be my God and this will be my people. You see the difference in these two sisters in law. Orpah who who looks back and, and 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 how many would, right? And she looks back to her gods and to her people and to her family and to the possibility of marriage and to the possibility of children and says, I accept. I want that. I want to go back to that. And then we have Ruth who says, Nope. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to follow you and I'm going to I'm going to serve your God and I'm going to be faithful to you, even in the midst of difficulty. This is this is amazing, right? Because. Naomi, if you look at the previous verses, let's just read those again real quick. okay? verse 11, where where Naomi is kind of giving a pretty good persuasive challenge to these two girls of why they ought to go back. In verse 11, she says, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait? So they were grown. Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. What she's saying is go back so you can get a husband and have children. And neither of these women had children. And so and their husbands had died. And so what Naomi's saying is, if you follow me, I don't have any more sons to offer you. And even if this at this very moment, if I was pregnant right now, are you really going to wait? Are you going to wait until these sons are old enough to marry you? No, go back, go back and be married and be happy and have children. So you see, you see what Ruth is committing to. When she says, I will follow you, she's saying, I understand that there is no hope of marriage for me. I'm committing to a life of being a widow, and I'm committing to a life of being childless. That's a big deal, especially culturally. That's a huge deal. And here's this amazing, faithful commitment from Ruth, who just says, I don't I don't care. I don't care that I'll be a widow for the rest of my life. I don't care that I will never have children of my own. I'm going to commit myself to you and i'm going to commit myself to your god and i'm sticking with you don't send me back don't try to encourage me to go back i'm with you it would have meant leaving her own family and land right she didn't she didn't go back and say just hold on naomi just hold on let me go talk to my parents let me go talk to my family let me get them to pack their things up too and they can come along and we'll just have a big big family that goes with us she was leaving everything behind turning her back on her family, turning her back on her land, turning her back on God's, turning back on the customs that she knew and going to this new land with new customs and new language. It goes even further than that. It was was a commitment that was more radical than marriage. What does she say? Verse 17, where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. In other words, it's not, Naomi, you're getting pretty old. I'll give you five or ten years. I'll come with you pretty soon. It's obvious you've had a hard life. You're getting pretty old. You're going to die pretty soon. I'll go back. I'll get me a husband. Give me some kids then. No, she's saying where you die, I will die. Even in death, your people will still be my people. I'm embracing you. I'm embracing your God. I'm embracing your culture. I'm going to stay forever. And even when you die, I'm going to remain there and I'm going to die where you die just unbelievable commitment this unbelievable picture of devotion and really shouldn't that be what coming to jesus looks like for us there's no contingency plan it's not saying i'm going to follow you jesus unless or until up to this point i'm going to follow you and if things stay good if things are really nice and easy and good then i'll follow you No, it's I'm giving myself, surrendering myself completely to you, Christ, as my God, as my king, as my savior. Committing to you always and only to you in all things. That's the picture we get from Ruth here. I'm saddened so often when when I hear that that people who have claimed to follow Christ or. or or people who call themselves Christians will stop following Jesus because someone that they looked up to, or someone they knew who was a Christian, fell, or sinned, or walked away, or something like that. It breaks my heart. I, I know those are tough circumstances. Okay, I understand that that when a when a, a well-known pastor or or even someone that you trust as a Christian when they fall, that's a tough circumstance. But it saddens me when 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 that happens that someone who's who's watched that person will say, well, I'm done with Jesus. It just breaks my heart because the question that always comes up was they, were they following Jesus? Did they know Jesus or did they just know Christians and their heart and their hope and their, everything was set on just Christians. And certainly we, we've all been affected by that. And it's hard. It's difficult. I hate to see Christian leaders fall. I hate to see that, but We have to be like Ruth who says, Jesus, my everything is in you and you're unchanging. And no matter what happens around me, no matter matter what happens with other believers, no matter what happens with you are my treasure and my heart and my my motives and my everything is fixed on you. And you're worthy. You're worthy no matter what happens. That's the picture we get from Ruth. No matter what happens, if you die, I remain. If you fail, I remain. I am staying here, period. It's the picture of what our following of Christ should be like. Uh, Too often, uh, people come to the Lord circumstantially. Jesus, I I, I give you most of me. But if, if this person fails, or if this happens, or if this doesn't come through, I don't know if I can stick with you, Lord. do we really in our hearts see and know that jesus is more valuable than anything and no matter what the circumstances are he's worthy and just like ruth is saying here i will follow you to death i will follow you i'll be with you i will remain with you god you are my god and i'm staying with you just thinking through that your god will be my god verse 13 if you remember looking back, Naomi just said this: "The hand of the Lord has gone out against me." Yahweh—that's what. It, if you notice in your in your Bible, it's it's the small caps. That's that's um, how we translate Yahweh. Okay. So Naomi has just told Ruth, "The hand of Yahweh has gone out against me," and what is Ruth's response? I choose Yahweh. I choose God. I'll follow God. Your God will be my God. No matter, it didn't matter the picture of, of Naomi's life currently. That's why I say people's lives should not affect our view of God. That's not an excuse for you. Live in a way that exalts Christ. Live in front of people in a way that exalts Christ, that makes him look great, that, him, that makes him look like the treasure that they need. But circumstances and other people shouldn't lower our view of God. And I think that's beautiful here that Naomi has just said the hand of Yahweh is against me. I'm bitter because of it. And Ruth says, I'll take that. How many of us do that? Now, now maybe we don't know. We don't know the whole story. Maybe Ruth had made this decision earlier, years before, maybe. Maybe her husband had told her stories of how the God of Israel had brought his people through the Red Sea. And, and just as they were commanded to tell those stories and pass, maybe that had happened. Maybe she had learned to trust already in the goodness of God and his hand working and how he loved his people. Maybe. But somehow she has made this decision in spite of Naomi's circumstances. God, you're good and you're a treasure and I will make you my God. I trust in you. No matter what what circumstances are going on, no matter what Naomi has said, you will be my God. Beautiful. The last part of the commitment. Second half of verse 17 says, May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So Ruth's binding herself by oath. This oath that invites punishment if she's unfaithful. She says, if, if I fail in this, if I turn away, if I decide to go back to my people, if I decide to go back to my gods, then may Yahweh punish me for that. I am I'm binding myself to you. I'm binding myself to this. She swears the oath in the name of Yahweh again. May the Lord Yahweh do so to me. So she's taking this oath in the name of Yahweh and, and and really owning him as her God at this through this statement. It goes on in verse nineteen. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, "Is this Naomi?" Just pause there for a second. I want you to imagine the scene. I mean, here they are. They're 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 walking. They may have been on on a, a donkey or something like that but they're heading back into bethlehem right they're coming in and, and uh i had the opportunity two weeks ago to go back to goldendale washington and and uh, i don't know how many of you know my my story but um when i went to college i went to college to to pursue music studied music i was gonna graduate and move to nashville and make it as big star you know i know i know uh just keep it to yourself um right <laughs> But that was my that was my goal. I mean, from the time I was seven years old, that's what I was set out to do. I started playing guitar when I was seven, started singing when I was seven. And so all this time, that's all I thought. And going through college, and, and I hated speaking. Uh, public speaking was like death. I mean, just a horrible class. Why would you do that to students? Like, it's just <laughs> mocking 101. Like, that's what it feels like when you don't like to speak and so why are you doing that and and so i go through college and and uh, happened to be in this this group that grace college sent out as ambassadors and through that met a pastor and got a call just after we were married uh, my senior year halfway through our senior year from a pastor in goldendale washington he just said you know met you this summer and we want to start an internship and we want you to be our first intern and come out and it was just so random right that We didn't know what to say except this must be from you, Lord, because it's just random and just out of the blue. And so. Yes, I mean, we'll say yes, and if it's not you, Lord, then in a year we'll move to Nashville and we'll try that and so go to goldendale washington and two months later just knew i'm going to spend the rest of my life doing this lord i want to pastor people i want to shepherd people and and so all that to say i got to go back to goldendale two two weeks ago and just going back to this place where i did my internship and going back to the town and walking into the church and here's my first office and here's where i preached my first sermon and the smell of the church is the same you know and 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 feelings that you go through when you go back to a place like that right you you go to a place where you have all these memories and these feelings kind of stir up inside you and if it's a good thing then it's a good wonderful experience right and it was for me going back and just remembering and 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 feeling those feelings and reconnecting with friends we loved so much and and laughing with them and just just this wonderful wonderful experience well imagine that for naomi She's going through that and she's coming back into Bethlehem and she's smelling those same smells and she's seeing those same houses and those feelings are kind of coming up inside of her. Imagine she's already feeling bitterness. She's already feeling this turmoil. And now in the midst of this bitterness, going back into this place, you guys probably felt that before where you go back into a setting that was just not good to your taste. It's just a bad circumstance. And you come back in that, that setting. Maybe it's with people. Maybe it's with, with a certain place. Maybe it's with a job, whatever it is. And that feeling just kinds of kind of well up inside of you. And it's just like a sickness. Well, imagine that for Naomi as she's walking back into Bethlehem. She's seeing those same houses. She's smelling the same smell. She's, she's thinking, this is where Elimelech and I used to walk. This is where the kids used to play. And all these feelings coming up inside of her, fighting that bitterness, feeling that turmoil, feeling that sadness. And that's what she walks back into. And not just that. She walks back in and it says, when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? So she's coming back in and she's still recognizable. This is, a, this is a small village. It's not like Columbus. She's not walking back into Columbus, Ohio, and there's just hundreds of thousands of people. And ah, who's this lady? And no, this is a small village. And so people recognize and remember Naomi as she's coming back in, right? And so you can imagine the talk around her. And this is the talk of the town right now. Is this is this Naomi? Who's this girl with her? What, where's Elimelech? And, and what's going on? You know, Not just that. I heard that this girl with her is a widow too. And you got all this talk. And maybe she heard it. Maybe she saw it. And in the midst of this sadness, in the midst of the bitterness, this is what she's experiencing as she comes back in. It's real. This is real turmoil. This is real bitterness. This is real sadness. This is real possible depression. And that's what she's walking back into. And maybe finally someone comes up to her and says, Naomi? Is this really you, Naomi? She responds in verses 20 and 21. She says, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? You can hear the feelings just from a response, right? Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. That word Naomi means pleasant. That's what her name meant. The, the name Naomi means pleasant. The name Mara means bitter. So imagine what she's feeling and, and someone comes up and calls her Naomi and she's like, don't call me that. If someone's calling out pleasant. I'm not going to respond to that. I'm not going to have any notion inside of me to respond to the the name pleasant. Call me bitter. If I hear that name called out, then I'll recognize it. Call me bitter. Imagine these feelings inside of her. It's hurt. It's difficult. Why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi sees her sufferings, we talked about this last week, as as proof that God condemns her. That's, That's what she's saying here. She sees these sufferings as proof that God condemns her for some sin of which she is unaware. But she's not exactly right. Her troubles will provide the means to God's ultimate reward. And she can't see that. She doesn't feel that. She doesn't see that. As we look through the rest of the story, what we're going to find is this bitter circumstance, this calamity, all of these things that, that God is bringing into her life are for ultimate good, ultimate good. You are here because of these calamities. And it's for good. But she doesn't see that. So often we don't see those things. In the midst of our our circumstances, in the midst of our bitterness, in the midst of difficulty, we don't see God. We don't look to God. We don't call to God. We don't trust in God in the midst of that. I I love uh, John Piper in, in talking about this section. He says, I would take Naomi's theology any day. Over the sentimental views of God that permeate so many churches today. Endless excuses are made for God's sovereignty. Naomi is unshaken and sure about three things. God exists. God is sovereign. And God has afflicted her. She she may not see the why. But she trusts God in the midst of it. I mean she believes that he's there. She believes that he's sovereign. And she believes that he did this. I mean, it saddens me. I remember uh, a few years ago hearing about a a devastating thing that happened in the world and and of pastors that get up and say, I want you to, to know God had nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. That breaks my heart. Because we see the trust that Naomi has, that God is sovereign and he's good in his sovereignty. That he's ultimately in control and he's good in that. And just like throughout the ordinary things that are happening in this. Just ordinary life that's taking place. And God's moving and working. He's sovereign. He's in control. And he's good in the midst of that. And Naomi trusts in that. The problem with it is that she hasn't let the story of Joseph get into her. The story of Joseph that's already happened where, where life was bitter for Joseph. His brother's. Betrayed him and sold him as a slave. And so, in, in selling him as a slave, he, he finally becomes uh, a part of Potiphar's house, right? And he's trusted with, with everything in Potiphar's house. And then he, someone lies. Potiphar's wife lies about him, and accuses him of something he didn't do. He was completely innocent, he's imprisoned. He spends time in prison. The, the guard trusts him, right? And you got these two guys that, that are under the king, and they come down, and he interprets their dream, or God interprets their dream through Joseph. And he says, just, just remember this. When you go back to the king, just remember what I said. The one is killed, the one's restored. And he forgets, right? And so he's stuck there again. And then finally, God uses these circumstances to bring him To be the second in command of all of Egypt. And then saves his family through this process. The same family that betrayed him and and, and turned their back on him and sold him into slavery. God uses him to save them and to continue this line of Israel. And so what does Joseph say to his brothers when, when they're reunited? And the brothers are scared because now the second most powerful person in all of Egypt is possibly mad at us. And he says, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. Naomi had absolutely heard this before. She just didn't let it sink in. And in these circumstances, she doesn't believe it possibly right now. That God means these things for good. The other thing is she needs to she needs to open her eyes to Ruth, right? I mean, what a gift, what a blessing she has here. She's standing beside Ruth right in front of the village and she says to them, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Because I went out full. I left you full. But now I've come empty. I have nothing. We're just probably like, mm, what did I say a few minutes ago? Right? Like, she's not empty. God has given her this gift in Ruth. And, and sometimes in the midst of our, our, our suffering, in the midst of our calamity, in the midst of difficulty, we're so heartbroken and so depressed or so um, just sad that we really aren't looking and seeing what god has blessed us with in the midst of it we're not seeing the good in the midst of the suffering we're not seeing the good in the midst of the sadness and she's missing that she has ruth who's given herself to her who, who could have left her alone and said nope i'll leave myself alone i'll be a widow for the rest of my life. I'll be childless for the rest of my life. I'm committing myself to you and to your God. It's a good lesson for us, right? In the midst of our sadness, in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of whatever it is. We've got to be seeking God. We've got to be looking to God. We've got to be trusting God and his goodness. Verse 22. So Naomi returned. And Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I love this, end of this chapter, uh, because we start the chapter off, and it says there's famine in Bethlehem. And then the last verse of the chapter says that they arrived back in Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So we start the chapter off, and there's there's just deadness. There's sadness and and it's in the midst of this difficult spiritual time in, in Israel, and there's famine. And so they go to Moab, and verse 22 tells us that they return to, the. remember the, the meaning of, of Bethlehem is house of bread. So they return to the house of bread at harvest time. And it's just kind of a glimpse, right? Just kind of a like peeking the, the curtains open that there is some good that's about to happen. That the story's not over, that it's not going to be bitterness all the time. It's not going to be sadness all the time. There is goodness that God has in store in the midst of this. And just give us just a glimpse, a taste of that. Alistair Begg says this, When God is at work, even a hopelessness may be the doorway to fresh starts and to new opportunities. When God's moving, even in the midst of hopelessness, there might be a doorway to fresh starts and new opportunities. And that's certainly the case we're going to find in the book of Ruth. Let me ask you this. What if if Naomi could see into the future? What if she could see that that in Ruth she would gain a man-child, a son? What if she saw that that man-child would be the grandfather of the greatest king of Israel, David? And and what if if she could see that that this king of Israel would be the ancestor of the king of kings, Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe? What what if she could see that? It's a different perspective for her probably, right? I'm bitter, but things are coming that are just unbelievable. She can't see that. And it's good for us in the midst of watching her life to realize that you may be in difficulty, you may be in suffering, you may be in just sadness, you may be in depression. You may be, But God is moving and working and absolutely good. We mentioned that verse last week from Psalm 119, verse 68. You are good and do good. That's God. He is good and does good. Are we trusting that? Are we trusting in the good and right sovereignty of god or or do we just care about our circumstances and how to get out of our circumstances are we trusting that he is ultimately good in the midst of them now, my heart is broken over the last month where where you look at the 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 catastrophe that's happened in haiti right and then yesterday with the the earthquake in chile 8.8 earthquake i'm not like a professional with this i just hated him when i was in california but, but they say that that's a thousand times worse than the earthquake in Haiti. Now, if someone that knows all this is listening on, on the, on the uh, podcaster right here right now, okay? Not that I don't trust you, you know anything about it, okay? Um, but from what I understand, that every single point, like from 6.6 to 6.7, is twice as bad. So imagine just the devastation that's happened. Can we trust that God is good in the midst of difficult circumstances? Now, it's easy to sit here and to think about, man, it must be really bad for the people of Chile today. We should pray for them. We should think about them. We should do something. But what about when calamity and trouble comes to us? Do we honestly trust and believe that God is absolutely in control and very good, very good? That's why knowledge of God is so important, guys. And, and, and I talk about this on and off, on and off, on and off. But it's why knowing him is so important. That's why being in his word to know him is so important. Because zeal for God only goes so far. Knowledge of God sustains us in the midst of difficulty so that we can trust him. And who he is even when things are hard for us. I, I think that's, that's part of what, what we get from, from Romans 10, verses 1 and 2, where David says, um, my prayer for them, talking about the Jewish people, my prayer for them is that they would be saved. For they have a heart for God, but not according to knowledge. They don't know God. They might go to conferences. They might go to things and get really amped up about who Jesus is and what this song sounds like. And, and I love coming to church. I love to be challenged. I like to be preached to. But I don't know God. I don't know the Bible. And that's why it's so important that we, not just pastors, not just teachers, but we as followers of Christ, like Ruth, commit ourselves so much to Jesus Christ that we say we will serve you and we want to know you. And so we're going to get into your word so that we know you and trust your goodness so that when difficulty and trouble comes, because it will, you are good. And I know you, God. And I don't doubt your goodness in the midst of that.